Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Ed's Words with Edward. I am your host, Edward. I have my co-host here, John and Haley, and we also have our guest, uh, Craig, and the great Todd McFarlane. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Yeah. Um, so, we actually have the privilege of being able to have a full-blown conversation-ish interview with you. Um, I know I'm a huge fan, Craig is, and we, all pretty much all of us are. Like, yeah, like I, I grew up on your comic books. Um, so, so we should maybe give a bit of a, a, a generic intro, considering yeah. that there are going to be lots of people who don't know, right? So they yeah. know what's from where we come from. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll just do it myself. Um, <laughs> uh, so I started in comic books first out of out of college, right? I wanted to be a baseball player, didn't work out. Um, but I broke into Marvel comic books right out of college, um, and climbed the ladder there of success, which was essentially the characters. The more popular you got, the more characters they would give you that you might have heard of. So over time, I ended up doing characters like Hulk and Spider-Man. Um, in those years, I bounced between Marvel and DC comic books. You know, people seem to know, especially with the movies now, the the two, the two companies. Uh, and back then, that was really sort of your only two options. If you worked at DC, you got mad at them or quit. You went to Marvel. <laughs> yeah. If you got mad or quit Marvel, you went to DC. So you, you bounce back and forth. Um, Spider-Man is where I, I really made my career. I was able to generate some sales and set some records and change the look of them. Um, but during those years, you know, some frustration set in. And eventually, seven of us left, started a new company called Image Comics, which is it's always interesting. Everybody knows Marvel and DC. But the next natural question is, well, who's third? That's us, right? Yeah. We've been third since the beginning of starting the company in 1992, and then and then as part of starting Image, then I also started a toy company and then do Hollywood stuff and have done a little bit of directing, producing, and other things. Created a character called Spawn. The movie just came out, Venom. When I was at Marvel, I created Venom. So uh, just, you know, been around sort of comic book geekdom for a while so that's i guess why i'm here today and why they they have me on this podcast so uh, and i've been a ceo uh because i decided not only to be an artist on my own but also a ceo and start my own company as an entrepreneur so i've got 20 30 years of that underneath my belt so uh, that should hopefully lead us to a wide-ranging conversation here today yeah that's, actually, that's, <laughs> that's, that's great yeah that's, amazing. Yeah, that's awesome just go from starting drawings to where you're at now. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I bet that's quite a, uh, quite a journey, you know, going from, you know, looking back from where you started to where you're at now. Yeah, the, it, you know, it's interesting because people will ask you the question, you know, I do lots of interviews and they ask the question, like, did you ever see yourself where you're at? And, and did, could you ever imagine? And the, I, I think the answer is like, no, for 99% of people who've had some celebrity in their life, yeah. you just, you just do what's natural. All you in this room are just doing it. And if you happen to do something that catches on and it happens to expand your audience significantly in a roundabout way, you didn't really have anything to do is you just, you happen to have something creative that other people wanted to basically tie into. So, yeah. um, so no, you know, no, when I started that, I know that I was going to have the career I had in, in comics. No, that I, know the day that I created Venom that they were going to make a movie of him in the future? Of course not, right? Yeah. I mean, you just, you, just, you just do this stuff. Sometimes it's almost throwaway ideas, and they end up uh, expanding. As time goes by, though, 
as, you know, again, that, that's the, as time goes by and, and you now start to see that you're, something's happening in your career, then, then you, you do start paying attention to maintaining it somewhat or, you know, continuing to grow it or come up with other ideas. So, you know, then it's not all nebulous. And at the beginning, when I used to walk into rooms, I, there, there was a lot of BS going on, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got the gift of gab. I can get in there and I could just talk until they basically want, yeah, fine, okay. But now we've done enough things that actually work that it, 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 it's not nearly as much BS, it's actually factual based. Yeah. There's data that goes behind it. Yeah. So, and there's, you know, either success, money, or awards, or whatever it is that they need when you're in a room to get them. Some sort to, of demographic. Uh, well, or get them to say yes, yeah. right? So, you know, the for me, just so you know, the reason for starting the business is not wasn't to be a businessman or an entrepreneur or make money or any of that. It was just to drive the art. It still is to this day. Yeah, to drive true. the art. Here's the problem: we live in a capitalist society, and if you don't succeed to a certain level, then they're not going to let you continue doing your art because the last three things you did, if they failed, they're not going to give you a chance at the fourth one. Yeah. They're going to go, well, kid, I get your enthusiasm. I like your energy. But the last three, three or four things we put out to the public, it failed. And we had inventory. We might have even lost money. Yeah. They're not going to give you. But if you succeeded to a certain level, then they'll go, hey, what's your next idea? What's your next idea? So the success isn't to be, because it's weird to me that sometimes people sort of will look at people who started small and then grow bigger. And they go, oh, you're a sellout. And it's. You know, I don't know that any band is a sellout because all of a sudden a million people want to buy their record. They don't, yeah. they, you know, we don't live in a penal colony, right? People, <laughs> yeah. consumers just do stuff on their own. It's like you said, if it's good, people are going to want to tune in. They're going to want to be a well, player. Well, I, again, good, good is in the eye of the beholder. We can have definitions of that, too. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, it, it depends on the success of it, depend on the success of whoever it is you're dealing with. So success for Walmart isn't whether it's good or it's not success to them is we brought in a thousand units did we sell a thousand units the 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 how and the why of it the art of it is is not really of no consequence to them right they're just you know units in units out and so they assume it's on me that i'm doing the right art and i have enough of an audience that will respond to that art to move those thousand units in and out right but to them they're focused on on the thousand units in and out, it's on me as to whether the art basically is compatible enough to give me another chance. So, you know, every time I, I go in there, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough that with the big companies, let's say somebody like Walmart, Target, when I sit with them, they remind me that I'm not that big, right? And, and I know that. I don't know why you got to remind me. I know. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, so they, they say things like, there's nothing you're ever going to do that's ever going to get us promoted nor fired. So I'm in a safe spot, right? Because I'm so small that even if it fails, it's still a blip compared to what they're doing because they don't sell their tonnage program of Star Wars. Yeah. They're in trouble, right? Yeah, right? Now, if they sell their tonnage program of Star Wars, they might get a promotion, right? They don't buy enough of my stuff one way or the other, that whatever, like I said, that will ever affect their life, which is okay because it's kind of a a good safe spot to be in yeah. that, that they'll then continue to give you more chances if you happen to make basically not live up to their standard every now and then because they go ah, you know you usually hit it out of the park eight out of ten times 
you know, that's okay. Everything doesn't have to be 100%, and they'll give you a chance, right? So, yeah. it, and, and I, I, I it, it becomes, the size of my company, it becomes the, the, the blessing and the curse, if you will, as to when we're, we're doing business, right? Yeah. So, because the, the, here, here's, here's, here's the blessing. I can move fast, and corporate America moves slow. <laughs> it's, <laughs> they, 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 it's, it, no, it's, no, you, you got to know what their Achilles heels are. Yeah. One of them is their size. Right, so they always have more money and more time and more effort, more resources, more people. They have all of it, but they can't make decisions as fast and they don't move as fast. So if you can squirt sometimes in between some of the gaps that they either can't make a decision on fast enough or they just leave gaps. They just leave gaps for you, right? So here's what I know. I make toys. Mattel and Hasbro, two big Fortune 500 companies, will never do R-rated product. It's just not in their DNA. Why? Yeah because they have a billion dollar model. If I had a billion dollar model, I'd stick to it too, probably. So you now go, oh, they won't go there. So instead of competing and trying to go against them and try and say, hey, I'm gonna try and steal their Disney license away from them, which would be a fool's game, because they're just gonna back up the Brinks truck and cash whip them with it, with you know upfront money and guarantees. I go, what aren't they doing? And what they're not doing is they're not selling to kids over the age of Roughly, for the most part, over the age of about 10, right? I mean, because I used to go, I remember when I first started my toy company, I walked into Toys R Us and, and, and going, okay, I'm 12 years old. What is in this building? This is Toys R Us. It's filled with nothing but toys. Yeah. I'm 12 years old. What's in this building for me? I'm not saying 22. I'm not saying 32. We're all geeks in this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm saying 12. And the only thing I could come up with in that entire building was there was a bike, there were some skateboards, and then there were some PlayStations. That was it at 12. So, right? how, how did you know that there was a market for your kind of toys? Because it's not just high end, you've got some really esoteric choices that you make with, with some of these things. I'm looking up above you and I see a Brooks Robinson. Kurt Schilling, I can understand possibly a market for that, but Brooks Robinson, that's a very specific kind of um, buyer. So, how did you know that this was the type of thing that those kids over 12, in other words, grown ups, <laughs> you know, collectors would, would would not just want but would value because 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 here's what, what I know see? is that is that I'm I at, at every one of those inflection moments I knew I was over twelve, okay. and I knew what was what was missing in my life as a geek. So 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 let's go to your example. Sports is easy, right? So how did I know that people like sports? Because it's on every fucking channel. <laughs> I turn it on. People wear it on their hats. Their and their shirts and we, I mean, what are you talking? It's sports. It's in our. It's it's here, right? It's part of our blood system. So what what was what what the opening was for me wasn't that people like sports. That I would I wouldn't I wasn't going out on any limb for that. It was why weren't they making good looking sports yeah. product, right? Right. So and the and the answer to that, really, the simple answer is I don't know. Uh, they could have been. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing I've discovered now that I'm sort of on their side of the fence with the big companies is that I, I now understand the reasoning and the rationales as to why they don't do a lot of things. So they didn't make good-looking sports figures, right? And so me, to, for me, it was as simple as I, 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 was a, I was a geek. I was a collector. I played Pac-10 baseball. I was an athlete, and I didn't buy any of the, the toys and the statues. Why? For one simple reason. Artistically, it didn't look like 
the players that I was supposed to be buying. Mm-hmm. It was generic. It was yeah. at best. So I go, what? I don't understand why nobody's making them and can't make them look like the players. So once I got the license, that was all that was driving it. Why can't you make them better? Mm-hmm. So when I made them better, the answer is they succeeded because I know that there was a million, two million other people that if they had this, the money and they had the ability to start their own company, they would have done exactly what I did, which is make it look more realistic, right? Yeah. So I had my Sports Illustrated and I had my posters in my, in my room and, and then I'm looking at the toys and I have the evidence on my <laughs> wall and it doesn't look like them, right? right? And so what ends up happening is, is and sticking with the sports, I've, I've won lots of awards for my sports. And every time they hand me an award, they go, here's an award for making these great sports figures and we just, you know, how do you do it? How do you make them look so realistic? Okay, and I give the same answer every time. I'll give it to your audience here. And you guys, if I get complicated with this answer, then go to Google and you can look it up because I, <laughs> I might, you know, some of the terminology. But I use this thing called a camera. And if you take a camera <laughs> and you push the button on the camera, it gives you a photograph. And if you look at the photograph and you take your clay, which is what our toys are made out of, if you take your clay or your wax or whatever, and you, and you start moving the clay around until it looks like the photo from the camera, <laughs> then it looks like them. And all of a sudden, you now get awards for doing what they could have been doing for a long time. The que- I think it's a wrong question when they, when they say, how do you make it look real? That's not the question they should be asking. The question they should be asking is, how did they not make it look real? Yeah. Because clay and cameras have been around a long, long time. And they had photo reference and they had the clay. Why they didn't, I don't know. I do know some. Because some of the things that I do to make it look realistic cost a little bit more. And when, and when they're dealing with dimes and nickels times tens of millions of units, they make decisions to go, ah, yeah, I get it, he's got a batting glove. Take the batting glove off. Why do we need to paint the batting glove? Just keep it the same plastic color. We'll save ourselves three cents. And we're selling three cents times four million units. That's a number to them. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they got a patch on their shoulder. But if we don't put the patch on their shoulder, that's another two cents times four million units. And if they make three or four or five of these decisions, they've saved themselves maybe 14, 15 cents times millions of units, which is dollars, real dollars to them. Right, and so the the difference is, is that they're used to, especially in the toy industry, they're used to selling to six-year-old children and their parents, and none of those people are discriminating, have a discriminating eye. I'm selling to people like you that are in this room, and you sit and you watch that TV show or you watch that sports team or you play that video game for hours on end, and if I don't get it right. Shit, you guys send me an email. And I get an email, and you send me the reference, and you're going, what, it's supposed to look like that? I mean, I'm not selling to six-year-olds, right? Because six-year-olds, you, a six-year-old tells his mom he wants Batman. It's just this simple. One, because I've seen it with my own eyes. I, I stand there and watch parents buy on Christmas Eve. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing, you should do the experiment. It's quite, it's quite <laughs> exhilarating on Christmas Eve. It's the best. So they go... 
I need Batman. They go to Stockboy. I need a Batman or, or somebody working in the store. I need a Batman. And then they come and they take them to where the Batman are, right? Now, the logo says Batman, but the character is Joker or Robin <laughs> or somebody else. They go, no. My kid said Batman. They only heard one word. The parent only heard one word. Batman. I need Batman. I need Batman. These are all Batman figures. No, no, no. Batman. So then eventually they go find one and they bring it. Now, all the mom cares at that point is that it's the Batman character, and as long as he's got a bat on his chest and pointy ears and a cape, it's good. It's him. Right? It's him. It's him. So that's not true, though, to somebody who's 16 and above that's watched all this stuff, that's gone to the movie that goes, no, it doesn't look like them. And I also know that depending on what shape I put the clay, I can sell it. So could I sell Matrix to six-year-olds? Of course I can't. Can I sell it when it first came out and it was this cool thing for us? Could I sell it to college kids? Of course I could. Why? Because college kids were going to Matrix. So as long as you're making what it is that your demographic is, right, then I'm okay. The funny fallout of all that is that the people who are not in the demographic, and I'm actually a pretty good archer, right? I'm a pretty good archer. I'm almost as good as Green Arrow. I, I, it's true. You pick, your, you pick your demographic, which is a target, your target demographic. You've heard the word. And it, to me, it looks like that target you saw in Bugs Bunny. Remember the red one? Oh, yeah. The white and the black and the white and the black. But there's a red dot. And I'm pretty good about going and hitting it dead center. And you know who complains the most? The white and the blacks. Yeah. Right? And that's usually the moms and the rabbis and the conservatives and everybody who's just got a tight sphincter. Right? And they just, everybody's up there. And they go, I'm never going to buy this. I don't like the look. I don't like the subject matter. I don't like anything about it. They were never, I was never trying to hit them with my arrow. I was, they were never one. I I go, you think I want 43 year old housewives? That, you thought you were part of my demographic? No, mom. A, you've never bought any of my product. And B, that you tell me right now with a lot of sternness in your voice, you will not buy my product forever? Well, given you've given me no pennies, and you will continue to give me no pennies, it doesn't hurt that much, right? It hurts way more if somebody who's been supporting me for 10 years says I'm doing something wrong, right? But they don't. It's always everybody else out there. They don't like the subject matter. don't like the subject matter. You know, but again, you hear the same thing with the music's, you know, going to drive like every... I 12, 13-year-old. I was like, Mom, you see that violator? That's what I want. <laughs> I want that. It's like, oh, you can't play with it. I'm not trying to play with it. I wanted to, like, decorate my room with it. Like, I want it to be, here it is. You know, I want that Spider-Man or I want, you know, that collector's item. Like, I'm not here to make it. Right, but even more know? so, my, my yeah. monster should, should, should revolt and, and repulse your mom. Yeah, it should, yeah. Exactly. Because if your mom goes, oh, that's kind of cute. Let's, no. hey, let's do it. Hey, you know what? Oh, I like your music. You know, hey, son, I like your music. Let's listen to the music together. Are you out of your mind? Right? Yeah. When you're 21, <laughs> right? That, that have arguably half of the reason you, you consume anything is because you know your mom and dad won't, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just because you're getting ready to leave the nest, right? Oh, yeah, so. I'll tell you right now, getting one of those violators was a struggle. Because you're like, <laughs> why do you want that? It's so ugly. No, that's it's terrifying. Like, why do, you, why do you want these ugly things? I'm like, because it's cool. It's part of the comic book that you see me reading all the time. You know, and like I want to get something from it. Like I just, I really like what he's doing, and 
that's what I want. And I was like, no. It's a, right, but people it took buy, me months, okay. but for that reason. You know, you see like, up here on the Jesus. shelf, uh, you know, 18-inch Freddy Krueger, right? So, yeah. again, same thing, yeah. right? I look. At, nobody's endorsing going out and slashing co-eds. <laughs> it just, it just, they like it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so it's look, when I was a kid, they used to say, you know, if you went through somebody's garbage, you could tell a lot about their personality, True. right? I, I think, th I think the equivalent of that today is if you go to their cubicle. Mm -hmm. I think you can tell about their personality by the cubicle, and a lot of times by the clothes they wear, right? We're always wearing logos, right? Yeah. So th this is just sort of showing what we like and what we don't like, and we sort of show it off, and so it's kind of cool. And the, and the conversation started. So somebody at work walks by your Terminator toy and goes, what? Bill, I never knew you liked Terminator. I've been here for three years. I just thought you were the accountant and you kept to yourself. I didn't know you were a geek. <laughs> and they're like, and then all of a sudden you have a bonding moment. It's cool, yeah. right? It's just nothing wrong with it. My, the, the, the only time I get agitated, I don't care if people don't like my stuff. I, you know, to me, I, to me, I'm just putting out a buffet. You don't have to put everything out on your on your plate, just consume what you want to consume as a consumer, I don't care, is when they say that it can't exist. Yeah. It's the only moment where the hair gets on the back of my neck because that's censorship now, right? So if you don't like it, walk, walk by it, right? Yeah. Just walk by it. Because somebody behind you might, and, and, and as a matter of fact, might even be a family that looks and smells just like yours and you and you go and they just think it's okay for their kids you don't right you don't so but walk by but what you want to do is say because you don't like it personally you don't enjoy that 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 song or that music or that that movie or whatever it is that you think that video game right oh it drives moms crazy <laughs> yeah. they shouldn't exist they're too violent they should so then there's an easy answer there's an easy answer mom don't bring it in don't bring it into the house Right? I learned almost everything I needed to when I was a kid by one commercial. It was really a good life story to me. This big dude, he was kind of fuzzy, he used to look at me about six times a day because I watched way too much TV. <laughs> and he had this cool little hat and he would look at me every day and he'd point to me and he'd go, only you can prevent force fighting. <laughs> it's true. And I remember as a young kid, I, it's true. As a young kid, I went, Wow, Smokey. So you're saying my life is on me. My decisions are mine. If I fuck up, it's on me. This is, I don't have excuse. I don't get to make excuses. This is about me, right? That's it. So, Mom, you don't want the video game in the house. Don't bring it. And if you let Crazy Charlie, Uncle Charlie bring it in on birthday, that's on you, right? <laughs> that's not on me. But what you want to do is you don't want to tell Crazy Charlie, Uncle Charlie, to not bring it. So what you do is you don't want it to exist so you never have to offend Uncle Charlie and say, hey, I'd rather you not bring that into my house, right? Yeah. Where I come from, I got three of them. It's called parenting. You know, you want me to take care of that part of it too. Just don't bring it into your house. Don't consume it, yeah. right? I've always thought that everything I've ever done in my life is just a vegetable, right? Go to the grocery store. Consume the vegetables you want. Put them in the in the cart. Take them home to your family. But when you don't buy the spinach, I've never seen anybody go, "Oh my God, that, that spinach! I don't like it personally." And I hear I've been talking to people at church, and they say it's really bad, right? And I shouldn't I shouldn't take it home to my family. You know what? Where's the owner? Where's the owner? I'm gonna go talk to him and go, "How dare you have that spinach here?" 
in front of my children because we don't like it perfect. Like, just walk on by. Just like you do in the vegetable aisle, everything else, walk on by. If you don't want it, walk on by. No, because you might want it. So, but don't you dare tell me I can't make it. What's going to stop me from making it is the consumers eventually. They go, hey, you know what? I made it. Nobody bought it. Uh, I guess there's not a demand for it. Not going to make it, yeah. right? But not that it can't exist. So yeah. I've had way too many, way too many criticisms. So for, as an artist, has anyone tried to stop you from doing like a certain idea or a certain like storyline for that reason, like for the consumers? I've I've i butted up against things uh, in my heyday at Marvel comic books. Uh, I I took over a book that was just called Spider-Man. I was doing The Amazing Spider-Man. I did a book called Spider-Man. First issue, set of records, still a record for a single individual making a comic book. And uh, and it was weird because the whole time they were fighting me because I was doing these artistic changes that they were wagging their finger at me, you know, sort of saying, hey, Todd, you're messing with the icon Spider-Man. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And I was, you know, I... I, I I, I sadly I here's what I did and I encourage people to do it from time to time if your mom or your boss asks you to do something always say yes even if you're not going to do it always say yes it's just it's just way easier right <laughs> just just say yes so I go yes sir I stopped doing it yes sir and then I go and whatever they told me that day stop making the eyes so big or stop making the web so longer I'd make it like twice as big eyes and I'd make the webs twice as long and then what would happen is the sales would go up even further and then they'd come in they'd go oh, and, and so it was this weird conversation of you know they hired me to sell books I was selling more books than anybody in their employ that they were employing at that time yet I was the bad guy because I wasn't doing it their way yeah and my which is really the reason I ended up leaving was because I was just like who cares how I draw why is that even a? Why is that relevant? You, you hired me to sell books. I'm selling books. Yeah. At a higher I'm doing rate. Doing my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing my job better. Arguably, if that's your definition. That we got to sell books and make commerce. I'm doing it at, at the highest level of anybody you employ. Why am I the bad guy? Why are we having this conversation every time I come to town? Because I was sort of messing. I was messing with their, with their status quo, right? Which is sort of the wall that every human being will run into because it's the wall that is the thickest because other humans will protect the status quo. So I go, no, no, no. But I did a story where it was, uh, it was about uh, a pedophile. It was a second story I did. Um, I had Wolverine in it and another character called Windigo, who was a normal bad guy. Uh, looked like a Bigfoot character up in Canada. And, and anyway, it was a big story, but the gist of it was at the end that when they were finding the bodies and stuff, they, they, were, they were blaming the Windigo and... And, and the beast, it was actually a police officer was doing it, right? So, um, and he was, you know, when he was done molesting the children, he was killing them and dumping them. And, and so, and they just thought that was like way beyond, beyond where I should have been going for Spider-Man, right? They just like, they're going, whoa, 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 Todd, you're, you're going there. So, um, and, and, then, and then, you know, I've had plenty of conversation with toys Right there's this one guy. I forget what his name was. He used to pop his head up, like every November, I think it was, and he'd make his list of the worst toys on the marketplace. Right? He was a reverend, and and 
I made it every year. It was kind of, <laughs> and then, but one year I didn't, and it was sort of disappointing. I'm like, oh, I didn't, live, I didn't live up to my. To be there, right? Yeah, I yeah. One year I had like four year. out of the ten, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's cool, right? So I used to have these conversations, you know, because it was weird. Because number one, just so everybody's clear, for thirty-five dollars, well, it used to be thirty-five dollars, might be a little bit more, but back then, for for thirty-five dollars, anybody in this room, there's five of us. For $35 and some paperwork, any of us can become a, a reverend. So the reverend is of no, there's no official orientation to be a reverend other than $35 and hit send, right? It's, it's ridiculous that anybody gives anybody the word reverend, any kind of reverence, because they're, they're, they're self-made. So, so some reverend who's paid 35 bucks says he doesn't like my toy. It was interesting that he never said anything the other 11 months. Right, so it was like, wow, he's he's really concerned about children for thirty days out of the year. The other, because I was making the same toys those other eleven months. Yeah, he didn't seem to care about it. It's like but he then, wouldn't have relevance if it wasn't for you. And you and it's other people who did exist. crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. right. Don't engage. Don't engage. But then you get into silly arguments. Uh, I remember we did one that was based on this comic book called Sin City. Frank Miller did this book called Sin City. No. And then and Sin City, they made a movie of it. But anyways, the, the punchline at the end of the first story arc there, they take the lead character, his name's Mark, and they put him in an electric chair. And at, at the end of the, the first story arc, they, they electrocute him. And his last words are, is that the best you can do? Right, as he's getting electrocuted, which is sort of yeah, which is sort of which is sort of kind of which is sort of kind of cool, right? Yeah. You know? So anyway, I know Frank personally, right? We're pal, right? You know, we did the Spawn Batman right there. Yeah. Um, and so I go, hey Frank, let me let me do a Sin City toy, and then we decided I was going to make Marvin the electric chair. So we make Marvin the electric chair. I thought it was a cool toy, and you and he's sitting there, he's strapped down, and then if you hit a button. Then the whole toy vibrated, right? And it went, and then his voice came in. There was a sound chip, and he goes, is that the best you can do, right? I thought it was cool, right? Everybody should have it. And we did a, a whole ad campaign, and it said, it said, get this toy so you can pretend you can do this to your boss, right? Now, now I'm a boss, so I was basically making fun of me because I assumed everybody in my office would want one, yeah. right? So now here's, where, here's the silliness of the world and human beings as a whole. Now we're gonna get emotional, we're gonna have a conversation, and people are gonna go, oh my God, that shouldn't exist, shouldn't exist, shouldn't exist, right? Columbine, oh my God, they play Dune. Oh my gosh, we gotta get rid of Dune, right? Because it's warping children's mind. Well, yeah, okay, that doesn't then sort of negate then when we were killing people 100 years ago and there wasn't video game, right? Just so we know, humans been killing each other since the dawn of humans. So, I, so what was your excuse 100 years ago, it's just in us. We're just innate. Um, we're, we're good with that. But I, ha I got this conversation with the, with the Marv toy, and I had Amnesty America on the phone. And then I had the leader of Amnesty UK on the phone. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell all of you right now, if you made me the leader of any cause, I don't care what the cause is. Cockroaches are cool. <laughs> if you gave me about two or three years in that position, there isn't any argument I couldn't make to make you feel bad that the cockroach isn't good, yeah. right? So I remember getting on this one. They go, we got Amnesty America on there, and they're going, and they sat there, and their opening salvo was, this is a ridiculous toy. It's hideous. You shouldn't be doing this. 
and and then and then the, the one from the UK popped in and go, "What's your next tour? Are you gonna do somebody raping a woman?" Wow. Now, now we're only about forty-five seconds into this. I go, I go, wow, wow. Excuse me, excuse me, ladies. I, 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 okay, I'll just let you finish. Uh huh. Okay, that's your argument. Can can I can I just counter that within a second, just so we're clear. And you guys should know this. I shouldn't have to be saying this, but I'm going to say it to you because you guys should know this. Did you know that raping people is illegal? Not only is it illegal, it's a crime. It's both. It's everything. You can go to jail. They'll fucking handcuff you. You shouldn't be doing it. Did you know that electrocuting a prisoner, not only is it legal, it's so legal the government does it for us. So I want to be clear that your opening argument to me is that you want to com- you want to compare an illegal action with a government sanctioned activity, and those two are equal to you. We can't have this conversation because you guys are now letting absurdity in your emotions get in the way of having a logical conversation here, right? Yeah. And so this is what happens when people sort of get emotional. We're seeing it right now in our politics, right? That people just sort of start picking sides because they're they're revved up and they're they're not letting some sort of sanity come into the conversation. So here's 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 my pushback against anybody that says anything about video games. Moms, are you listening? <laughs> so listen up mom. Yeah, listen up mom. <laughs> here's what I know to be a fact mom. And you can defy it, and you can not like this fact, and you can hate it. But it's true. There is not one published report that is condoned by the medical profession that says playing video games will make you deranged. If you're well balanced. I'm saying, but none of us can start creating worrying about the kooks of the world. Because now you're worried about such a sliver of society that it's going to freeze you. So you, you create to the norm, which is 99.8% of us. So of the 99.8% of us, there's no medical proof. I know this breaks your heart, moms, but it's not true. And you know how I know it's not true? Because if it existed, just one, I would know. I'd, I'd, it'd be chapter and verse in my face every day and anybody who played loud music and anybody who had a nasty video game it would be chapter and verse we would know the name of this report yeah we don't know it and the reason we don't know it because it doesn't exist and you know why it doesn't exist mom i'm gonna give you another reason because when your child was five and they were watching looney tunes and they were watching sesame street they knew even at five and six there was not a six foot talking bird that was yellow and they knew that there was not a talking uh, rabbit that chewed on carrots or a daffy duck that could talk either at six they knew it to be pretend now they're 18 17 16 they've had 10 more years of honing this what's pretend and what's not they're actually more sophisticated at 16 in case you didn't notice right so now their knowledge of what's real and what's not real is actually even better and yet, you think it's gotten somehow worse. Yeah. If it was good enough at 6, it's way good at 16. Yeah. Of course they know the difference between make-believe and not. Not the deranged, but the normal person. So it doesn't exist. And if it, you think it does, Grandma, 
grandpa, whoever, whoever could serve. I'm not, I don't want to just pin it on the mom, anybody. Then go find it. Go find the report. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We know. We go to movies every day and we see it. Yeah. Pretend. It's pretend. It's pretend. It's pretend. It's pretend. And then the nutcase comes out every now and then. Okay. But they're not made. They're not, the, the, nut, the nutcase was there. So we can't, we can't live in a bubble of the five or six, 20,000 nutcases that are roaming the street. Because then nothing can get made if we start going to that level. Yeah, so we can't do it. So anyway, that's that. So I'm, I, 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 yeah. There's all. Look at Abe Lincoln was my hero, and I'm Canadian, because Abe Lincoln basically was like Smokey. He was like, oh my God. It, basically, he said, I'll paraphrase. You ain't gonna please them all, Todd. Stop it, right? I mean, there's never gonna be a day where everybody likes likes what you do. So, so the moment I get a, I get somebody complain about something, I go, God, Abe is on a hot streak. He's got, he's batting a hundred. He's like every day he gets it right. Every day he gets it right. Somebody doesn't like me or my product. I can live with it because I'm, I'm not worried about having to sell to everybody. I need to sell to a small margin of people. And if that works, then I got to live in. And it's been working for 30 years. So I don't make any apologies to it. Well, what do you know, right? <laughs> I would have been being successful at it for 30 years, right? <laughs> I, I found my, my little corner. Yeah. It's okay. Exactly. That's good. That's good. So when you started, when you went to Image. Started Image Comics yeah. after leaving Marvel. Yeah. When you started that, what, how long did it take before you realized what corner you were trying to get into? What? exactly you wanted to do with Image because I know that's when you started creating Spawn and stuff like that as well the, the, it, so Images images are, I, I think uh, a very interesting sort of experiment uh, that's now this experiment is now 26 years old um, the seven of us that left Marvel and, and, and just to put it in context the seven of us that left weren't just seven random artists we were the top artists at Marvel that year, there was roughly about 8,000 comic books that came out, and we accounted, the seven of us accounted for 44 of the top 50 selling books out of those 8,000. So we were, we were, in the Olympics, they had the basketball dream team. We were the dream team, and we left. We just wanted to do art. Just wanted do to do your way. Just wanted to do art. That just, was a huge statement to just, like, leave. Right. No it, was a, no, it was an impact to them. And and when we and when we left, we we actually went to both Marvel and DC and told them our reasons for leaving, not because we wanted to negotiate, not because we wanted to, a new contract, but just to say, hey, you might want to basically close the barn door once we leave because you might lose some more horses, right? Next week, if you don't do anything about this, I think you're going to get another seven and another seven, and you're going to keep bleeding until you react to some of our concerns. And it, it was sort of sort of silly stuff that was sort of driving us. But when we started Image Comics, we here's here's our weakness, is that there was we were seven artists, and we were not seven businessmen, and so what we had to do was on the fly, we now had to learn a language. It's what it is. It's a language. You have to learn the language of business. So now, fast forward 26 years, I'm bilingual, right? I, I'm I can talk fluent in art and business. I've got it down. I learned both, right? It's just a language. So. But we had, in those first few years, a lot of stumbles on the business front. But here's what we set out to do on the creative front, was we set up a system in which 
Image Comic Books at the beginning owned nothing. 26 years later, Image Comic Book owns nothing, right? I know somebody that is on Wall Street just heard me say that and just keeled over, right? Like, oh my God, what are you doing? So here's what we did was the seven of us owned our own personal studios and whatever we did in our personal studios as we saw fit personally, we then would then push those books into Image and Image would basically just be a publishing house, right? So, so the way that it worked is that we own 100%, the seven of us, of whatever we created and Image would just take a little bit of money just to help facilitate things like solicitation and distribution and, and collecting accounts and getting it to the distributors and the printers and all the sort of the, the un, unsexy stuff of creating a comic book, you know, because creators just want to do the fun stuff, which is write and draw them. Um, and we said, no, we want to own our own properties. We then opened those doors for every other individual. We said if it was good enough for us, the owners, it should be good enough for anybody else. So that 100% ownership is has been afforded to everybody for 26 years that's come. So so if you want to do a book for us, you would get the exact same deal that I get. I don't get any better deal than you, right? It's the same deal. Because it, it was more about just creating an option for the creative community. If you've had your fill of working for the big guys, there's an option. Or if you're doing, if you're a writer and you can do three or four books, maybe one of your four books might want to be for us. There's, there's a possibility of doing this thing that is us. So now, you know, we publish 70 books a month about, and, and the biggest advocates for our business model, which not only is the best model in, in comic books, it's the best model in entertainment, period, period. I don't care what, what area you go into in entertainment, nobody's giving you what we gave, right? Apple might say, ah, yeah, 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 we'll stream your music. You can own it. They take 30%. We take a sliver. We take a sliver. And it's a fixed rate because if, you're, if your uh, um, book sells a lot, we don't think we should prosper on that because it takes the same work to get a book out that sells 1,000 copies as it does a book that sells 100,000 copies. It's the same work. So why should we get more because you happen to create a book that sold 100,000 copies over somebody who only had one that sold 1,000 copies. I don't think we should benefit. So we don't even, we, don't, we, don't, we started at the beginning taking a percentage, but then we cut that down to a flat fee because we, we were doing nothing special. It was the creative people should basically be getting all the rewards on it. So that, that model now is, is, is cemented. We're not going, you know, we're not going away. At 26 years, they thought we were going to go away after two years, then it was five, and then 10. Like, why why won't this model exist forever? It will, because there's always going to be another creative person that goes, oh my God, I want to own something. And then when they see the example of one of my partners who created Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman, see what, what the possibilities are, what can happen if you own your own, right? You, you, do, you do Black Panther, you do, you know, I, I created Venom. I don't, I, don't, I don't hardly get anything out of that. Right, so but you know if they if they do Walking Dead that Robert created, if they do Spawn that I created, then then we get the lion's share of whatever money's trickling down the mountain or whatever we negotiated. That should be afforded again, like I said, to everybody. So they're going, oh my God, so so my new character might be the new Walking Dead. It's possible. Come and try. Come come and jump in the pool of of creator-owned properties, and and do it. 
Now, here's the downside. Mm -hmm. Here's where. There's always a downside. <laughs> well, yeah, well, but it's a short downside. Yeah. Here's the downside. The downside is from the time we solicit the book to the time you get paid and we say, yes, we're going to do it, you need to do three books. You've got to have three books done because we had too many people come in, do one book, and then screw up. So we got to at least tell our retailers that you're going to get three books in a row. So uh, th that means that if you do a book a month, that means for 90 days you got to basically be working and not getting paid. It's your, it's your, we don't give you a page rate. No. It's your book. We don't say it's your book. So then we get the creative people going, what? How, well, how am I supposed to live for 90 days? And there's their downside. And I go, wow. And you know how many people, it is sadly in the, in the hundreds if not the thousands now of creative people who have allowed 90 days of having to eat macaroni and cheese so that, so that they can't get to the finish line of that so that they can then own their property and start making all that money back in spades. They're going to let 90 days dictate 40 years of their life. Duh. Right? But I can't, there's nothing I can do. Name's Todd, only rhymes with God. I can't change <laughs> any of them. We just, we give them so much freedom, even enough to basically hang them, or they just don't do it. And so what half of them have done is they then take it to another company that then owns 70, 80, 90% of it and pays them a page rate, and you just go, ugh, and they're just back into the same system that they left, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So I don't know. Every every creative person is not, is not created the same mentally, not only artistically, but mentally, you just, I mean, how much do you want it? How much do you want it? And you can, to have something 100%, but 90 days of a 80 year lifespan, you're gonna let that dictate? I, it's it's frustrating me, especially as I get older and I you know, get more fatherly. I'm like, these young kids, I'm like, son, daughter, <laughs> right? 90 days, shit, like surely somebody will lend you some money for rent for a couple like come on yeah. right the bigger question is why don't you have any money for 90 days that's a that's a whole nother conversation so, <laughs> yeah. anyway so we're we're, we're, we're rocking image comic was rocking i think we have close to 20 21 properties that have that beyond the comic books are all doing good that are in some form of negotiation or option or development in hollywood oh wow so yeah nice that's great because i read several of the image comics like i read like daily class yeah and, that's uh, coming out kirkman's uh, invincible yeah well. that's coming out yep. right i mean hope again it's in development until you see it you, yeah. don't, you don't hold your breath but deadly class is coming mm -hmm. um but you know the kingsman you know that one did pretty well uh you know and, and kick ass stuff but there's a lot there's oh, lots I there's, yeah. <laughs> I, the, honestly i love like that one is by far like like i love movies like that like uh you know like I, uh, it reminds me of like a like a zombie land like it's not super Hollywood, but it's enough to where it's like, all right, I get it, it's a movie, but it's still like you see new new actors, new faces. It's very like in your face shot. I, I, I love that movie. And so so you so let's use him as an example. So so Mark Miller is the one that created Kick Ass with some other creative people, but let's just stay with his name. He created a studio, uh, Miller World. And and you know again had uh, success with Kingsman and then he's got some other stuff. <laughs> so, but Netflix comes along and makes a deal with them and gives them I think the the public number they gave out was like thirty million bucks. They gave him thirty million bucks to basically buy Lock, Stock and Barrel, his comic book. So now his comic books we publish now say owned by Netflix. So we're now 
publishing mm. Netflix comic books. Right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a bizarre thing. Anyway, um, but the decisions of what each creator gets to do is on them. So in this case, if Mark wanted to sell, which obviously he did, he prospered on that deal, right? And 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 Image Comic Book didn't get any of that money, yeah. right? It was like, hey, that's yours. You get you get to go and, and have a good time with it. Now there are other people who go, no, nah, I don't want to make toys or T-shirts. I think it's I think it's it's rude. I, I, I don't want to. I want to stay pure, right? So you know, people play music and stuff do the same thing, right? They everybody has. And that's I, your choice. I mean, that's it. That's so, your choice. So so what we've created is. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's your happiness. Go find your happiness, right? Our job isn't to say you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. None of that. Ours is just say, here, the ball is yours to play with it any way you see fit. That's the victory to me. Even if somebody did something and they failed at it and they tried to expand and it didn't work, I still think that's a victory because the creative person still was the one that got to make the decision to do something that ultimately failed. It was still, yeah, it was still them. Yeah. It wasn't somebody taking it from them and making it a failure. They were involved in it. Yeah. So good on them, right? So check that to me. It's like it's not the end result. You know, as much as we like to look at the examples of Mark or, or Robert Kirkman with Walking Dead, it's it's just any of them that got to make their decisions on their own. There's the win. There's the win for the comic book side of it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, speaking of movies, like, how uh, have you watched the new Venom movie? Yeah. How did you like? What was your I went take to, on I it? I went to the premiere. Oh wow! Really? They, they, went, <laughs> they went. Hey, Todd, you helped create the character. Come on, come on, let's go. You can walk. You can walk. The, <laughs> it wasn't even a red carpet; it was a black carpet. <laughs> so you can walk the black carpet. Like, so. like, how did it compare to, you know, to the your Venom? You know, like, the, you, here, here's here's how I explain it to people. Uh, I want I, I you know I don't I don't, I don't go to superhero movies which may seem like a weird thing. I, I as a young kid I was never I never liked PG thirteen action stuff. I was never that guy. Yeah. Right? I just I never went to any Von Dom or Vin Diesel or Schwarzenegger movies as a kid and I just can't go to them now and now, you know, the comic book movies are fall in line with it. And maybe it's what they call a busman's holiday. I, I do it all day long, right? And at the end of the day, I, 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 yeah. I just need to unplug. So if you were to ask me what movies do you like, every one of them is a drama, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and very little special effects, if any, right? It's just, I gotta unplug and I, I need to get back to reality and half of them were based on true events. So it's, I just, I, I need to get there because tomorrow I gotta go back into my fantasy. I can't do it 24 hours. Yeah. It's like a rocker. I can't, I can't be, a, I can't, can't do it at that high octane. What you're doing on stage, you can only do it during the performance, and then you got to sort of, sort of plug, unplug a bit. But, um, so all I went in was with Venom was knowing that the third Spider-Man movie had uh, uh, Topher Grace, and he converted into Venom, and and there was a lot of scenes that were actually in that movie that were pulled from issue 300 of Spider-Man that I did, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so I was actually <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There was like I'm going. Oh, I drew that. I drew that. Yeah. Um, but what 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 was a, what was a little bit disappointing on the the October Grace one was, I drew and created visually uh, Venom big. He was he was like he was like a Hulk. Right? Yeah. He was he was he was big. He would have given Hulk a run for his money. 
So, and the reason was it that I did that was because I wanted Spider-Man that to me was this little 97-pound weakling guy to not be in a position where he could physically beat him. I wanted it to be the equivalent of me trying to push an elephant over. I could try as hard as I want. It was never going to happen. So now if I actually want to trip the elephant, I'm going to have to come up with another more intellectual way of getting the elephant down, yeah. right? Because raw strength was never going to do it. So, so I was a little bit disappointed in that when Tober started converting that I go, okay, here it comes. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get bigger. And it's like, okay, <laughs> it's up to his chest, now his neck. And it's like, okay, start to get bigger. And he never did. <laughs> and it's like, maybe put 10 pounds on, right? But I go, 10 pounds? What are you talking about? Look at, watch me. I know nobody can see it, but if I hold my breath and I puff out my chest, I can put 10 pounds on too, right? Yeah, look like, like this was it. It was like, Topher, Venom, Topher, Venom. I go, come on, you're killing me, you're killing me. So all I wanted to see in this movie was, I go, I'm not going to sit here and worry about the story or whatever, because the writers did their writing and all like, yeah. that's the, I just wanted to see my big dude. I want to see a big dude. So I go, I got to see my big dude. Yeah. Right, so all the I did, to me, I only had one box that was pretty big. Is he big? And I go, douche, he's big. Okay, cool, cool, he's big. So that, that was actually because that's what I was talking to them about uh, before we uh, we got here. That was like my complaint. You know, I love Venom. You know, growing up, even in the you know the the series and in the comic books. And I was like, when Topher Grace did, I was like, oh man, I'm like, yeah. he's just a slightly buff nerd. Like, right. like, you know, I'm like, come on. And then when the and I saw the new movie, I was like. Finally, like we, like not only did we get the big venom, but like even visually, it looked like the one that you drew. You know, yeah. like that. It, the silhouette, that, the silhouette that, needed the to I be impressive. I, I wanted an yeah. impressive silhouette, and they gave me an impressive silhouette. Yeah. That's how I just go. Okay, so all the rest of it, I you know, again, because I'm not a big fan of PG-13 movies. Anyway, I go. I'll just let everybody else go for the ride that they see fit. Right. Yeah. So, if you want to go for the ride, go for the ride. I just I'm looking for the visual. Right? Yeah. And I go, I got my visual. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm that, good. I'm talking, you know, and again, yeah. I talked to the director and I go, cool, you made him big. And he's like, oh my God, I was so nervous, Todd. I thought you wouldn't like it. I'm like, no, wow, you know, compared to that other one. But I go, that's <laughs> it. So I go, all the rest of it, take it up with all the other writers. I got, yeah. Like, uh, that's their gig, right? My gig was visual. Yeah, and, and like a lot of the, like, even, you know, friends and stuff I talked to, you know, that was like their thing is the visual. Like, I want to see. Venom the way he's supposed to be done. The way I grew up reading him in the comic books, the way he looked in the shows, like, that's the Venom I'm used to, and I want that visual you know, representation, no matter what exactly, no matter what the story was, because I want to see if they got it right. And yeah, for me, I was just like, ah, oh, they did it. Like, finally, it looks like him. Like, it's not so it'd be interesting to see, like, you know, they, they're, they're up to over a half a billion dollars globally now with that movie. Yeah. So they'll, they'll make another one. So it'd be interesting to see if what they do, they tweak it a little bit, one way yeah. or the other, and, and keep evolving the character a little bit. So, but they're they're on their way. But that again, that's a Sony movie, right? You know, that Sony did that, uh, and Sony got this weird sort of deal with where Spider-Man can start and stop between Sony and Disney because Disney owns Marvel, um, and, with, and so they're trying to build this Spider-Verse without Spider-Man because there's you know thousands of characters in the Spider-Man lore mm -hmm. besides Spider-Man mm -hmm. besides yeah. Peter Parker there's a thousand of them and if they're legitimate characters they should be able to stand on their own right yeah. and so so 
they got out of the gate and they're making money, which really at the end of the day, whether people liked it or didn't like it is not relevant. That Sony's going to make their decision based on how much money went out and how much money came in, and and th they've got a half a billion dollars that says that they should be making more. Yeah, right? so, very true. So <laughs> whether anybody didn't like it, some of the critics tend, it's, it's not relevant now because because they've got they've got the capital to do another one, right? Yeah. So and any more than the opposite. Where the critics loved it, but they didn't get the studio didn't make money, so it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Like all they care about is like money in, money out to some extent, so that they can do another version of it and start a franchise. So we'll 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 see. We'll st I'm hope I'm hoping that they just keep rocking it. So. So I know you touched a little bit earlier about with making the comic. Can you tell us like the steps, like for budding artists who are trying to make a comic book, what what do they need to do like? story process, drawing process, what softwares might they use, and then like the actual printing and publishing. Uh, so, let's, so, okay, so let's just look at the basics of it. The, the, uh, all comic books. What? Who didn't, <laughs> who didn't silence, who didn't silence their, their phones? The, there's, there, uh, all comic books have five steps. You, you have to, you have to write the story, and that can be divided up. I'll go, I'll come back to writing. You have to write it, then you have to pencil it, and you have to ink it, and then you have to color it, and you have to letter it. And the lettering is basically the word balloons that everybody sees. So there's five skills that have to go on every book. Most books, I'd say, in Marvel and DC, I'd say easily 90% of them. It's five different human beings doing those five jobs. Right? You don't cross over those jobs. And then the odd time you'll have somebody who will do all the artwork. So instead of having what they call a penciler who does it in pencil and then somebody comes in and inks it, you'll have somebody who does both, pencils and inks. That's what I do. I, I do my own artwork. Um, and then and then the odd time you'll get a, another sort of odd freak that will write and do their artwork. So they're taking up three of the five jobs. It's not, it's not normal. It, you usually break it down into the different studies that you end up doing it. I would say, if anybody's listening and wants to break in, I would say, even if you think you can do all five of those, make sure that you, along the way, make a copy of each one of those steps. Because the likelihood of you being skilled at all five of those uh, 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 positions is, is remote at best. And so if, if, and I've seen the mistake made by too many people, they bring me like the finished book. And even though the writing might be good, because the drawing isn't very good, or the coloring, or the lettering's horrible, it, it distracts from the one thing that you are good. And if you're looking at portfolios, if you drop them a complete book, the people looking at portfolios will assume you want to do all five jobs. And unless you're equally fit professionally to do all five jobs at the same time, which is, I've never met that human being, ever, I don't even know if they existed in history, is is just, just make sure you you sort of show them the writing, then show them the pencil, then show them the inks, because you might actually be better at two or three of those than you are at a couple of them, and then they'll go, wow, the writing's not very good, and the lettering's not very good, and even your drawing's kind of, but your colors, those are amazing. You can, you can be in our business as a colorist, right? Just like in Hollywood, you can be a sound mixer, or you know, somebody who does movie props. You don't have to act and direct it. You can do all these other sort of traits. So those, you know, if just figure out which one of those five, if any of those you think that you're 
the most adept at and if you think you can do more than those then go ahead and do it if you can only do one and you're thinking of doing a comic book then here's what I would say if you're an artist then find a writer this is easy right you go I don't know how to write then find a writer and if you're a writer and you can't draw go find an artist now where do I find them Todd what are you talking about right there 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 are conventions and cities every weekend someplace somewhere somehow there are places on an internet sites I mean if you're a writer go to DeviantArt or something like that there's plenty of the sort of portfolio websites that people just plot their stuff down and just find them like I mean I, I you know the, you know this is part of the equation here right if I have to tell you how to go and do something that you want to do so bad, you really don't want to do it that bad, right? It would be the opposite. I I was like a dog in a bone. I figured out how to do all of it, and there was no such thing as an internet when I was younger. I just read every book and a asked questions to people and just got interviews, and I just was like, oh my God, I gotta just, I'm just gonna do, I was up in Canada even. I'm like, I was so far away from the hub, I just go, no, I'm on my own, I gotta figure this out. So, so just get hungry for it. Get hungry for it. Go out there and do it, and then just start the process and assume that your first eight or ten are going to get rejected, right? Here, like, so, so here's an easy way to make your life not harsh. Assume every interview you ever go to, every portfolio, every time you show anybody your skill, assume that the answer will be no. If you assume the answer will be no, you're going to lead a very, very okay life because you will never be heartbroken because you already knew what the answer was and the only time they mess up that equation is when they actually give you a job and if and, and you go god man i had a hot streak of 20 no's in a row i was feeling good i was starting like my little cal ripkin jr yep. you know my little no streak was going and and now darn it now you're sort of ah uh, and the only way it gets broken is when you get a job so so if you, and I'm not saying you don't go into an interview and you don't send your portfolio and you don't do the best you can when you're in front of people. I'm just saying, set your, set the, look at your mom's going to tell you to set the bar high. Don't listen to mom. Listen to me. Set the bar low. And here's why you set the bar low. Because if you set the bar low, it's easy to get over. So you go, I'm never, I'm never getting a job. I'm never getting a job. And then they go, hey, Todd, you're not getting a job. And then you go, yeah, nailed it, called it, <laughs> called it. You go, matter of fact, you might even go with your friends and celebrate because you go, wow, nailed it again, having a good time, right? And they go, wow, he's the happiest no guy I've ever met. And then they're going to, one time, they're going to stop you and give you the job. And you're going to go, oh, shoot. That's, so it's a blessing and a curse because, like I said, they ruined the streak, but you get a job of it. Here's where you're going to crush yourself. If you think you're getting every job you go to, you're going to crush yourself. It is going to be a long, hard life. Stop it. Stop it. I've got a brother and brother-in-law. I mean, I, they, they set themselves up. They always think the answer is yes. And it rarely will, no. The answer comes at yes at about a 10%. Stop it. Stop putting the 90% pain on yourself flip it and make it a positive and just forget it and if you can't m deal with that then 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 simplify your life even further get up every morning and say this prayer and I'm atheist so it's an atheist prayer just get up and say today will be imperfect I am imperfect and you're gonna nail that one every day of your life 
So when somebody cuts you off and sends you a nasty email or somebody wants to dump you in a relationship or somebody does something that irritates you, then just go because today wasn't going to be perfect. The reason you get upset, the reason you get worked up, because you actually got out of bed thinking it was going to be perfect. Shame on you. That's a heartbreak, right? And those days that you think are going to be imperfect, that actually were kind of quiet, shoot, they seem good. Those are good days, right? Woo, what happened? Nothing. It was a great day. Nothing. Nobody cut me off. Nobody cursed at me. I didn't get a bad email. Nothing. Like, stop it. Stop setting your bars high. Just assume it's not going to work, and you're gonna. It, life will just be way easier on your ulcer. Just, just if you can't do that, it's just harsh. So, in other words, I, the reason I said it because people try to go become actors or singers or whatever. You you have to assume your first hundred auditions are going to be no's. Right? Go go ask any big actor. And go, what's the story of any big actor who goes, oh, yeah, yeah, first one I went to, they put me in the $100 million mega blockbuster hit, and I was the star. Who's that person? <laughs> that story doesn't exist. Of course they all just ate breadcrumbs for years until the break came. Of course they did. But they got thick skin, and the no wasn't a deterrent. It was a driver. So for me, I sent off, like when I was in college, I sent off over 700 samples. And I got over 300 rejections. I used to carry the bag of rejections. <laughs> no, it's true. I used to carry the bag of rejections because I used to go to convention and I'd get somebody come up, show me their portfolio, and they would say, oh, Mr. McFarland, I sent off my stuff and I sent off a couple and they said, no, and I can't, and I'm getting discouraged. And when I, and they said, I get discouraged. I used to take my bag and I used to empty it, this pile. It was a pile in front of them. And I'd go, <laughs> I go, you know what that pile is right there? No, sir. Every one of those said, stop. Don't do it. No. Every, and, the, and, and the other half didn't even respond because they just threw it in the garbage. So those are the ones that actually took the time. These are the nice people that said <laughs> no. Right? There's hundreds of them here. So I guess you got two choices. You can either just keep plowing through. Now, again, at some point, you got to have a reality check because what point are you determined and, and, and delusional? Those are, at some point, you become delusional. The reason they keep saying no because... You will never be an opera singer, Todd. I don't care how many rejections and how much you go at it. You just can't sing like an opera. I mean, at some point, you got to be realistic about it. But I just, I, I was determined. And then I said, I'll, I'll do my own comic book. So I started drawing my own comic with this character called Spawn that I eventually put away when I got my first job with Marvel. But years later, pulled him back out. So, I, I you know, that's it. So what kind of technology? I mean... For, I, I'm assuming most of the writers are using it, right? Just stu easy stuff like, like you know, Word, all those things that help, you know, Final Draft or whatever, things people use for uh, uh, screenplays and things like that uh, are useful. Uh, on the writing, on, on, the, on the art side, the computer is, is growing leaps and bounds. So the, the strange thing is that the majority of the artists don't use it because they want original artwork so that they can then go to the convention and sell it. Because when you go to convention, when you sell your artwork, that's, you know, you get to basically, you know, add a kicker to your salary. Uh, I used to do it myself. Um, but uh, the, the, I think that the computer has an efficiency to it that you might be able to draw it twice as fast. And I don't mean skill-wise, I just mean the tedious stuff like filling in blacks and doing borders and doing circles, all those now are clicks of buttons.
that used to have to get stencils and wait for paint to dry and all this other stuff. Uh, so, so and, and coloring completely now. There's I don't think there's anybody that colors that doesn't use a computer. Uh, and a lot of those are just using stuff like Photoshop or, or uh, a Painter or something. I mean, there's lots of programs for color. And then lettering, even lettering that used to be hand letters is now people are buying fonts. You don't even have to have good penmanship <laughs> and you can be a letterer now. This is how Vance, right? Like, oh my gosh. So, so even like in the video game business, when I did, uh, you know, I was an art director on a couple of video games, we had all these divisions. They, there was like the people who did props and the people who did costume and the people who did foliage, foliage. And the people who did backgrounds, and the people who did buildings, and the people who did characters, and the people who did the animation, and the color, and the sound, and there's somebody who did magic spell. They did nothing but make make light move, right? <laughs> and each one of them was somebody that was in that industry. And all of them, and all those different traits could say, I work in the video game business. You don't have to be the star, right? Watch it, watch, watch um, an Academy Award and, and, and here's what I'm going to tell you. The person who makes the best sound, they have one for sound. Mm -hmm. I know you guys usually are going and getting your potato chips and pizza at that point, but they make they give one for best sound, sound mixing. That trophy looks exactly the same. Has and the they've one, got like 20 of them. But if you hold the sound right. mixer one next to the actor or actress of the year, it's the exact exact same trophy except for the engraving slightly different right it's this you don't have to be the big shot and you can be in comic books and in video games and in and in hollywood there's a lot people just think if they're not the actor or they're not the writer or an artist or they're not you know the the true game developer that somehow it's like oh my gosh no if you have one skill one skill of amongst 20 or 30 of these skills in something like Hollywood or video games, you're in that business. You only gotta, you only gotta be good at one thing. You don't have to be good at all 20 of them. You gotta be good at one, and you got a job. If you can make light move, I'm, I'm, we can find you a job. It's actually really good, because I know like a lot of artists at UAT, because all of them are doodling in class, all of them are doing something, and then they all have this mentality of, I need to do this actual thing. I need to build the character. Yes. I need to build the whole environment. Yes. I need to right. do this. I had that mentality too. And oh. then I realized I suck at 3D. Yeah. I hate 3D. Like I can do it very, very slightly, but 2D is where what I love. I well, love when, using Photoshop. But when you get into the production of it, you begin to realize that this person is a respected artist because of their skills here. So you can focus on something else and mm -hmm. you start to think about the actual distribution. The people who did animation talents. had had limited if any drawing skills they couldn't they, right. they couldn't draw it they couldn't conceptualize it which was 2d and they sure as heck couldn't sculpt it which was 3d but once somebody did design it and somebody did uh sculpt it and make it 3d they could move it they knew movement right and so it felt like it was an actor that was going around and the person who sculpted didn't know how to move so everybody had these things and so the, the problem is with, with what you're saying that everybody thinks they got to do it is, is using the little league analogy. Everybody thinks that they want to play shortstop, right? But at some point, you have to just go, no, I got to put my best shortstop out there. But there's eight other positions. We got we got eight other positions that you guys can play stop, 
all worrying about playing shortstop. And every single I'm, one of them can say I'm part of the team. Right. <laughs> every single one of them right. can say I'm part of the team. I get it. It's a sexy position, shortstop. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But I go, all the other ones, you're on the field. You're, you're, you're in the, out there. You're in the yeah. game. You're in the game. You're in the game. Who cares? Who yeah. cares how and why, right? You're doing your part. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I, look, I encourage people at the end of every movie, like, just every now and then watch all those names. Yep. Every one of those names it took to make that movie, and every one of those people on there can go with a straight face and say, yeah, I work in Hollywood. Yeah, Make sure. them say it. You know, again, might not be quite as sexy a job as some of the others, but they're still in the business. And at some point, there's a beggars and choosers. What's, what's your job, right? You just go, do you want to be in the profession or don't you, right? And if you don't have the skills to the left, you just have to move to the right. Who cares? Stop it. Stop yeah. Stop setting yourself up for a failure here. Uh, how's that new spot? <laughs> I was, I like I said, I'm not like I, I grew up on on your comic books a lot, um, so I, like I saw the first one, and I know they're making a second one. Um, like, how, like how do you feel it's going? Like as far as compared to the first one, like what if any mistakes are they <coughs> fixing? Well, on let's, the second one let's, let's 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 whatever you can detail. So out. let's track let's track it. So the first one I go in, the we start Image Comic Books in '92. Um, very quickly, Spawn goes to the top of the charts. I make a couple deals with video games, start my toy company, Which I had make the deal, <laughs> make, make the deal with HBO for the animation, and then and then uh, we do the movie. They sort of came in, bought the property, and did their thing, and the, and they did it, and they didn't really consult with me a lot. Time goes by, I've done some things in Hollywood, whatever else, and then the phone starts ringing, hey, superhero movies are starting to get hot. You know, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. Could have done a better quality job, but we also way before there was this tidal wave of superheroes yeah. coming. But now the whole world has expanded into superhero movies. Um, so then the phone starts ringing. They're like, hey, Tom, hey, you still got the rights to spawn? It's like, yeah, I do. And they're like, hey, we want them. So I just got to the point where I go, no, 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 I'll give you... I'll give you the rights back into that city, but th I have one deal breaker. I write, produce, direct. If you can't say yes three times in a row, then this conversation's over. And so the vast majority of them went, yeah, cool, where's the script, right? So I go, and, and I said I would keep the budget low so that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, as a CEO, I wouldn't write an $85 million budget movie and then ask to be in a director's chair. I don't think that would be fair. So I go, I'm going to write something that I think I can make for $12 million, $13 million, keep it tight. And, uh, and, and then at that point, you're just going to get a young director. Just let me be the old director, right? So you're going you're you're to get an inexperienced person anyways. Let me be the inexperienced person. So, so that, was, that was the deal. So where, where we're at with it is, is uh, you know, I, I wrote the script. With the script, I was able to attach a gentleman by the name of Jason Blum to it. Jason runs this company called Blumhouse Production. Blumhouse, the movie that just came out a couple of weeks ago was Halloween. Uh, and then, you know, he was there for, just before that was the Black Klansman and, and uh, uh, Get Out and Split. Uh, glass will be involved in oh, that. I'm, oh, I'm right. so the purge. I'm looking forward to oh, that. Right. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, the I'm purge. So looking forward to that. The purge, Insidious. Uh, all the thriller stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's got like all these things. He's he. So when I said I wanted to do a dark R-rated version of Spawn, then then by hooking up with Jason, then people would then get it. You know, because I go, just look at what is in his 
in his resume, he, he does serious stuff, and yeah. some of it's really cold and creepy. Yeah. So and that's what I liked about, and also I kind of like what I liked about uh, Spawn. You know, like it's like it's not your traditional, uh, you know, uh, Boy Scout comic book. Like it's very gritty, and like, even like the movies, like um, you know, like Glass and Split, like they're comic book based, but it's like I mean, they're just very in your face, very more real. Like if that's how a yeah. comic book. That's how a character's gonna be. Well, It'll the, be more like that versus like, hey guys, you know, let me throw a shield. Here's what here's here's, here's what here's what uh, M Night does is doing with those movies. He's acknowledging that his audience is over fifteen. Yeah. He just like he just yeah. he's not worried about this is that demographic, you know, pulling the arrow back and hitting your target. He's not trying to sell a seven year old. Yeah. Right. He's he's not worried about selling glass or or split toys. Right, yeah. he's not. He's going. I just want to do this movie for people who are over the age of 16, 17 so they can get into an R movie. You have to be technically seventeen if you want to go by yourself. So that's who he's aiming for. So he goes, "Oh, it's seventeen. I can talk to them like adults, yeah. and I can present stuff like adults." Yeah. Right. So, so to me, and and those are the movies. Like I said, they're always high up on my list anyway. So I go, "No, no, I want to do drama too. I want to. I want to do. I want to do that kind of story yeah. that is." That minus the one fantastic element, everything else is real, right? Once you pull, once you pull uh, out of my movie, once you pull out Spawn, everything else is real. Yeah. There's no there's no supervillains, there's no headquarters, there's no fancy cars, there's no ray guns, no aliens. It's just it's just there's a boogeyman in the middle of reality, right? Yeah. Which is which is going back when I was a kid was all the sort of creepy horror shows, suspense thrillers I used to watch, right? So if you take a movie like um, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, if you take The Thing out, then it's just a bunch of dudes up in the north in cold weather, right? So there's nothing else other than the one piece of fantastic. And it's true for every scary movie. That's, that, that formula is true. Go all the way back to, I keep saying, all the way back to things like Frankenstein. Like when you took, if you took Frankenstein out of his movie, the old black and white Boris Karloff one. Okay, uh, Igor was weird, but he was still just a bent over human, and the doctor was a crazy man, but he was still human. Everybody else in that movie was human, right? And and so it was just a monster. So which is why when they got into for me when they got into things like the Bride of Frankenstein, the Son of Frankenstein, they lost me, because I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lose the uniqueness of the thing, the one thing, yeah. right? So, which is why when I, I see Iron Man, you know, getting beat up by another Iron Man, I just go, what? There's two Iron Mans, and the Tony Stark Iron Man isn't even the toughest of the two, right? It's like, why are you, why are you want to diminish him to me? Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, so I, I'm, I just want it to be straight drama, you know, because I knew I got tons more email from when we did the three years of HBO, the the animated series that had every warning on it, right? Remember, mm-hmm. drug, sex, and rock and roll. I mean, there was five yeah. of them. We had yeah. them all. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, I I've gotten way more mail positive for that than I did for the PG thirteen version of Spawn. So I go, oh, and by the way, the when the first Spawn movie came out, I remember the head guy at New Line Cinemas came to me on Monday and said that their data showed that 75% of the people that went and saw it were 14 or older. I never forgot the, I never forgot the number. And so my brain, that moment, went, wow, so you're saying in three years? In three years then, 
that, the, that those other the, the other thirty percent will be seventeen. So then the whole pool in three years <laughs> that went and saw this movie will be able to go to an R-rated movie. Well, that was in nineteen ninety-seven. Well, then now the stats are even different. If you were in your mom's belly in nineteen ninety-seven and came out a few weeks later, you could still go to an R-rated movie today, <laughs> right? So I didn't have to wait the three. Like everybody who's been growing up, like they're all. It's been so long that everybody who even knew the first movie. Is is tipped into it? Even if you were a zygote, you you're now you're now able to go to R-rated movie. Yeah. So I want to do a serious dark art movie. Now, I I my first uh, hook was I got Jamie Fox said yes, um, and and I run into Jamie a little bit years ago, and he always like Tony, I want to do Spawn, I want to do Spawn. So I went back to him after That's the cool. script got, and he was like, it took you so damn long, Tom. <laughs> so, and he went okay, and then and then I got another character, there's a cop in there that gets most of the lines, because, you know, Spawn's just a boogeyman in my own movie, um, and he's, the guy that's on screen the most is, is the cop that I call my Sheriff Brody, right, so it wasn't, you didn't see Jaws as much as you saw Sheriff Brody. Right. Um, so, so, and then I go, I think we can go get somebody else, and then I, I got, I got lucky we got Jeremy Renner, right? Now, Jeremy Renner, when I met him, I couldn't say, Jeremy, I can't talk to you about Hawkeye and the Avengers because I haven't, I haven't seen any of those movies. I don't go to those movies. Yeah. I'm here to talk to you about your other movies, your, your R-rated drama movies. And the one he had just finished making with this one called Wind River that was spectacular. Yeah, amazing. And so I go, I, I, I'm here because of that. I need, I need that from you. If the fans want to give us bonus points because you're also Hawkeye, not good. good. That's gravy for us. Yeah. Right? I, but I need your acting chops. I need. I don't need any makeup. I don't need you to go to the gym. I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to just act like this cop in this story the way that I need it. And he was like, "Yeah, cool." So, um, so and then and then I just added uh, Greg Nicotero. Greg Nicotero, the one that does all the makeup on The Walking Dead and has directed more Walking Dead episodes than anybody else. Um, and he also was involved 20 years ago in the original movie. You know that you'll see around the corner the costume he made 20 years ago. But now he's gotten way more sophisticated yeah. and better. So when I'm telling him what Spawn is in my head visually, he's going, no, 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 I get it. And we designed him pretty quick, right? We were almost in a simpatico, so we've already designed the costume and everything. And he knows what it's going to look like uh, and how, how I can shoot it with the lighting and stuff because I've got this sort of odd way I think I can pull this off and so that's 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 where we're at right now now it's just a matter of trying to convince the the, the system that a superhero movie doesn't have to be costumes and super heroic in the PC-13 yeah it's like our you know 85% of ours is going to be practical 90% is going to be practical you know, it's just going to be more like a ghost story. So, uh, and and we just saw what happened with something like, and I get to say at the beginning of each one of my trailers, from the co-creator of Venom, right? Ah, yeah. and, and and whatever whatever Jason's hottest one is, yeah. and you know the and the, you know from the star of the Avenger. I mean, what are you talking about? We got a pedigree that's there, right? Yeah. Like I did Walking Dead. I mean, what are you talking about? It takes forty seconds just to say, here's all the good guys on. On it doing, and surely somebody's gonna go. Wow, that okay. I like that and that and that. Okay, I'll go to this thing. What's it called? Prawn, spam, <laughs> spawn, whatever it's called. Spawn, whatever. And then at some point too, when you when you release your trailer, 
then I'm, I'm going to finally be able to get this shut up and just go, just look at the trailer. Yeah. You either like the trailer or you don't. You're going to make a decision on the trailer mm-hmm. or you aren't. You're going to go, it's either worth my 10 bucks <laughs> or it's not, right? Yeah. Done. But till then, I, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to convince that city that, that, that this thing will, this thing not only will work, I think it'll rock. Yeah. I think, it, I, 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 I know my audience. And I know I, I I look at everybody in my in my my employment here. They go to all these superhero movies, but they're still all adults. Yeah. And if somebody feeds them something that's adult-like, I think that they will at least be curious. Please stay tuned for the next part of the conversation with Todd McFarlane as we had to break this into two parts. Thank you.